You are listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's program is entitled One World Government. Hello, my radio friends. I'm glad you've tuned in today to hear more from the perspective of God's Word. Have you ever heard the term One World Government? If this is a new term to you, it's something you will very likely hear more about in the near future. Basically, it means that all the countries in the world will eventually have someone who controls them, someone who could be considered world president or ruler. The world would then be united under that ruler. As the situation exists at the moment, such a move would be considered very improbable. But behind the scenes, moves are being made for that very thing to happen. Any intelligent person would be constrained to say, how that's impossible. How could you get diverse people, groups such as Muslims, the Chinese, the Aussies, the Russians, the Hindus and North Koreans to give allegiance to someone to rule over them? Is this conspiracy theory? No. But I do want to share with you some things not often included in the news. So then, let's check and see what's been happening already and see what's going on. In 1992, at the Earth Summit Conference in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, representatives from 200 countries, including Australia, signed an action plan for World Sustainable Development. This was an initiative of the United Nations. One of the principal concerns at that conference was overpopulation. It was recognised that food and water resources are limited and spiralling population increases must be curtailed. But the principal concern was global warming. You can read the information yourself by googling Agenda 21 online. Besides planning to drastically reduce the world's population, Agenda 21 highlighted the common issue that seems to be the pivotal point of concern necessitating a one world government. That issue was once called global warming. Now it's called climate change. Same thing, just different terminology. Whether global warming is part of a natural cycle or is the direct result of man's activities is uncertain. But the popular notion is that it is the result of man's exploitation of the planet and it requires a united front to control it. Up to this point of time, Various governments have agreed to reduce their carbon emissions. Others have not agreed. 
Generally, there have been some reductions of carbon emissions, but the outcomes have been varied. People are being conditioned to believe that the only way to save the planet is if mankind surrenders their individuality in favour of the collective, while allowing government to determine what is best for us. And to control the various government, there needs to be an overseeing government, a one-world government. I want to quote from an online news service called Natural News, September 4, 2015. The journalist Michael Snyder wrote an article entitled The 2030 Agenda. This month, the UN launches a blueprint for a new world order with the help of the Pope. He wrote, This document, UN 2030 Agenda, describes nothing less than a global government takeover of every nation across the planet. And you can find out more about this yourself by going online and reading about UN Agenda 2030. But what really interests me is that Snyder says the Pope will play a major role in affecting Agenda 2030. Since when has the Pope been a political figure? Popes in the past have indeed been both religious and political leaders. Some have had armies under their personal control, and in some cases there were contending Popes where each had an army and where battles were fought to place their candidate on the Papal throne. In fact, Right through the Dark Ages and during the years of the Protestant Reformation, up until 1798, the Pope had world domination, excluding Russia, which had the Orthodox Church. And the Pope had world domination both religiously and politically. It was an unholy combination of church and state. But that couldn't happen in these times, could it? Not yet. But there is an organisation that's been working toward that goal for many years. Members of that organisation have entered political, educational, religious, financial and government institutions for the sole purpose of making the Pope the world political and religious leader. If you're not sure who I'm talking about, I'm talking about the Jesuits, a secretive organisation of the Roman Church established in 1540 by Ignatius Loyola with the purpose of defeating Protestantism. That order, which has a philanthropic front, has a sinister background. Jesuits are involved in practically every influential organisation in the world and are involved in shaping policy and making social changes. In his book, The Secret Terrorists, first published in 2002, the author 
Bill Hughes, writes that the goal of Jesuits is clear. It is to destroy Protestantism at any cost and restore the temporal power of the papacy worldwide. If you follow world news events, you would know that practically all world political and religious leaders make it their business to visit the Vatican and have an audience with the Pope. Why do they do that? Some would say world political leaders recognise the Pope as their superior, and by visiting him, they acknowledge him as their leader. Why does the Pope visit various countries? Apart from identifying with Catholics in those countries, part of the Pope's agenda when overseas is to hold discussions with the leaders of those countries. Some would say he is spreading his influence. So, we've just heard some information from two sources pointing to the Pope becoming the head of the One World Government. But what does the Bible have to say, if anything, about it? In Revelation 13, verse 3, is this statement, The whole world was astonished and followed after the beast. Here we have a statement that tells of a world phenomenon. The whole world is said to follow after the beast. Not just one section or another, it's the whole world. But what is the beast? Revelation 13 and Daniel chapter 7 are linked. Protestant reformers and many other Bible scholars maintain that the beast refers to the Roman Catholic Church. And who is the head of the Roman Church? I'm fairly certain that you know the answer to that question. You don't need to be a microbiologist to work out who would most likely be the head of the one world government. If the beast has the following of the whole world, and that same beast is the head of the one world government, we are in for some interesting times ahead, especially if you do not agree with its policies. It's a dangerous situation where a religious leader is able to use political power to further his religious interests. Revelation 13 verse 16 states that he, referring to the prophet I'm sorry, referring to who the prophet John describes as the beast, this is what he does. He says, He forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead, so that no one could buy or sell unless he had that mark, which is the name of the beast, or the number of his name. Notice what the Bible says, that this power forced people to do what it wanted. 
Next time, I want to share with you some more about this power. What would happen to democracy then, you might be thinking? It means that democratic governments give over ultimate control to the papacy for the sake of the common good. In this case, to have a master figure to control global warming. Could the prophet John have known of these events in the 21st century, some 2,000 years ago? The answer is that it was revealed to him by God, who knows all things and who knows the future. For some, the issue of a one-world government may seem quite alarming, and I think it will be. We're talking about end times, the prophet Daniel referred to in Daniel 12.1, where he said, At that time Michael shall stand up, that great prince, who stands watch over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since, since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time your people shall be delivered, every one whose name is written in the book. We're going to have a break here, and we'll go on, go on straight afterwards. Oh 
just before the break, I quote it to you from Revelation chapter 12, verse 1, which talks about the time of trouble in the end times of this earth's history. The end times with the papacy ruling over the whole world will be, if you don't conform, a time of great difficulty and personal hardship. It'll be a time where human rights mean very little if history is anything to go by. Those who remain true to God and want to live their lives according to his principles and his word will be in conflict with the status quo. They will be branded as troublemakers and non-conformists. They will be blamed for any troubles that happen and they will be pressurised, persecuted and badly treated, something like what happened in the Dark Ages. And Revelation chapter 13 verses 7 to 8 go on to say, referring to this beast power who rules the whole world, and it was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue and nation. All who dwell on earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb, who was slain from the foundation of the world. The world will be polarised. There will be two groups of people. On one hand will be those who accept the dictates of the religious political leader, the head of the one world government. On the other hand will be those who remain faithful to God, the saints. The controlling world power of the end times has been described in the Bible in different ways. It's been called the beast. Elsewhere it's called the little horn. Elsewhere it's called Babylon and in one sense may also be considered the scarlet woman. Each of these names opens up a different aspect of the activities of the end time world power. Earlier I mentioned that it's the goal of the United Nations to reduce the human population on Earth. The intention, apparently, is to reduce the population to about 500 million by 2030. And that's only a little over a decade away. How could such a goal be reached? What criteria will be used to decide who will be kept and who will be eliminated? And what methods would be used to achieve that goal? At this stage, I've not read anything that provides satisfactory answers to any of those questions. But if the intention is real, then it'll mean that no one, other than the ruling classes, will have any human rights. Would it mean that the elderly the sick and the helpless will be eliminated? Would it mean that certain racial or ethnic groups will be exterminated? Will it mean that non-conformists, such as those who will not worship the beast or his image, 
who will not accept the authority of this power to rule over their lives will be disposed of? If we consider the mathematics of the UN Agenda 2030 goal, only half a billion of the current 7 billion people will be alive if the goal is to be achieved. That's one person out of every 14 to be left. You and I know that the world is sick, and Agenda 21 and Agenda 2030 are plans to rectify what is wrong, to bring about stability in the environment and control the the human inhabitants of the earth. But one factor has been overlooked. God will not allow sin, false worship and corruption to thrive forever. There is a time soon at hand when God will step in and end what is going on in this broken and damaged planet. God is not in the business of tolerating sin and its effect forever. Jesus is coming again, and he will take with him to heaven all those who've been loyal to him. All the rest... Those who reject God's call to righteousness, that is, the wicked, will be destroyed. The earth will experience a massive earthquake and everything will be destroyed. Eventually the earth will be cleansed with fire and then God will make all things new, as explained in Second Peter 3.13. He says, Nevertheless, We, according to God's promise, look for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. In today's talk, I've attempted to reconcile moves in the current religious and political world with what, as I understand it, the Bible says. What the United Nations has outlined should be done but it will not bring about a world of peace and harmony. Peace and harmony will only happen when God sets up his kingdom and all sin and those who have chosen not to follow God will be no more. God's criteria for survival is simple. It means having our sins forgiven because of the sacrifice of Jesus, and then living a life in harmony with God's principles because of the influence and leading of his Spirit. God's plan for his people is not just for better. It is for all time, eternity. Agenda 21 and Agenda 2030 and moves towards a one-world government are band-aid measures. They will fail in the long run. But to be on God's side means victory, success, and eternal peace and joy. When God establishes his kingdom, 
there will be a true and proper rulership. And I want to be one of those who experience my life with God forever. But what about you? We must stop for today. Why don't you join me again next time when we see what the Bible says about this ruling end-time power referred to as the beast. Until then, my friends, I wish you God's blessings and joy and peace. Beyond the sunset, oh blissful morning, when with our Savior heaven is begun, earth's toiling ended, oh glorious dawning, beyond the sunset, when day Their home.